Joe. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 712. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding and always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is in fact a parent's self-understanding. Tease out today's show. Actually, before you tease it out, I'm just going to say hi to three new Team Zen members. You ready, sweetie? Yes. Robin from West Palm Beach, Stephanie from Houston, and Miona from Lake Placid, New York. I'm going to give them applause. That's West Coast, Midwest, and East Coast. Uh, that's right. So, I like that. Um, if you don't know what Team Zen is, check it out on our website. It's 25 bucks a month. It's a way to talk to Kathy and I on Zoom, and we have a ton of other resources available on our Team Zen Circle page. It's an app, so basically you can. You. it's like a uh, place you can go get everything Zen Parenting, plus connect with people that I think you'll have a lot in common with, plus get resources, plus talk to us, and it's just really easy, accessible. And right before we came down, I was eating, and I felt the need to scroll, but instead of scrolling through things that make me stressed, like Twitter, I scrolled through our app, Yeah, and that was enjoyable. It's actually a good idea. Mm -hmm. That should be like our tagline, stop scrolling and start connecting. Or just scroll through our app. Well, it's not I a great think, tagline, but our app is is right. Positive. But our but ours is more interactive, I would Correct. say. Whereas you know Twitter or TikTok, it's more like mindless scrolling. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say you'd be surprised, Todd. Like that, people put things up there that are really interesting to read. Like someone just put up a podcast that I'm going to listen to. Someone put up a really good um, speech from graduation. Like there's just uh, part of it is a lot of it is us in our work, but a lot of it is other people just sharing. So. Anyway, just well, a great place to and go. And I forgot to tell you, but I came up with a Team Zen uh, theme song. You ready? Let's hear it. <laughs> That's funny. So will you tell the audience? Is what... it because of all of our power dynamics? That's right. What is this song? What is it? Yeah. It's the theme to Succession. Yes. Yeah. And why am I playing that today? Are we going to talk about it? We're going to talk about Succession. But for those of you who are like, I didn't watch Succession, don't worry. We're not going to, you're not going to be totally lost because we're going to talk about the dynamics, the family dynamics, and we'll use Succession as the backdrop, but really anyone can relate to If what they we're wanted to about. come up with a theme song that just makes one uncomfortable. This is it. They do a good job with that. Because I hate that theme song, and I think I'm not supposed to like it. Stressful. It's a lot of strings, and it's 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 constantly going up, like it's constantly getting more tense. Yes, and more tense, and it doesn't decrease the tension. Well, it's so funny because we so we just watched the series finale last night, and Succession goes down. Probably, I don't, I can't say it's my top ten favorite shows because I never watched the third season. But I will say, um, when I think of uh, the scoring of a show, I always think of Lost, the Lost finale. And the strings, I don't know what, you know, there's all these different instruments that I don't pretend to understand. Um, but it in the Lost finale, it uh, gave me such a sense of deep sadness. Mm -hmm. and, and this theme song to Succession gives me... I'm just rattled. Like yeah. it brings my tension and my stress in my body up. It's so interesting how instruments could 
give us feeling. Well, and I think it's the notes. Like, I don't know a lot about music, but a lot of flat notes, a lot of like, mm-hmm. like they sound off. Like mm-hmm. it, um, it's not the right way to say it. It's like the way that they are on top of each other, it's uncomfortable. So it's not like there's strings that soothe you and then there's strings that make you go cringe a little bit. Um, but we're just, because of the show, the song becomes just a memory, or the uh, theme is just kind of like it gets you excited to watch. Can I just share one more uh, string sure. thing in a um, movie? No, it's a Beatles song, A Day in the Life. Okay. And I'm going to play it. I play that is it's it's also kind of haunting, right? I got another one. Oh, you got what do you got? I got uh, so have, there's a song by Janet Jackson called If. Okay. Um, is that and, the one you put on my birthday no, playlist? That's called Again. That's that's a sad song. Yeah. So there's just this part in it where it's just a bunch of strings, and I think they actually took it from a Supreme song, but I always think about it. Um, is it, it at the beginning? I, tr- play the beginning. This sounds like the video. Can you get to the song? Is that how it is it the No, this this is is this must be a video. You're probably not in the right place, hon. All right, let's go it's back. not a song. How about this one? There you go. So listen to this. So that's all strings right before that. And then the other one I'm thinking of. Uh, what do you got? <laughs> you guys weren't listening to me the other night, and I kept trying to say. I think you were kind of listening to me, but I don't think anybody cared. I was talking about the White Snake song, uh-huh. Still of the Night. Here I go. No, again. that's Here I Go Again. That's a different one. So in Still of the Night, there's this part. It's like toward the end, and they like build up to it forever. And this dude plays his guitar with a bow. Doesn't Jimmy Page do that a lot? And lives up maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm pr- I'm willing to believe that the guy in White Snake didn't. Create all I know that. is we started with the Beatles and we're ending at White Snake. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. So it's like toward the end. Keep going. Sorry, everybody, that you have to listen to this. Not White Snake, but Todd doing this. I, you're past it. You went too far. Well, sorry. The the fans are not going to be able to hear it. <laughs> But it's so good. And I used it? Well, put it this way. When I was, I'm still a White Snake fan, but when I was really into White Snake, I would play that song and, and it's a, you know, it's one of those songs that it, that's what you're waiting to hear, right? It culminates in that moment. And so it's a big buildup. This is what I'm waiting to hear, sweetie. Yeah, I love this song too. This is the only White Snake, snow, White Snake song I, I know. I believe that. I don't know where I'm going. Defines my wife. That's all I gotta say. You want to know why? He made because up his mind. He made up his mind. This is 
one of my all-time favorite hair band songs, obviously. I think a lot of people love it, but we all, when we listened to it, I was a junior in high school, we all thought we were so alone that we were the ones. Yeah, he was singing to you. I know. I was like, I just am so alone, just like this guy, even though I wasn't at all. But it, it was the internal loneliness, right? It's the, here I go again on my own. We got to wait for it to kick sure. in, right? Right. It's kind of one, like an anthem for being single, right? Yeah. And I just think, you know, at that phase of your life, if you've been hurt or like a friend has left or you're just going through another breakup, you just think that you're just starting over again and again. And you really are. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're nine minutes in, haven't even started the content. So we had to do some Janet Jackson, White Snake, Beatles, yes. and Succession theme yes. song. So here's the thing we're going to talk about Succession, but we're going to talk about it in terms of. Um, family culture and the things that can really get in the way. Now, Succession is an extreme example. For those of you who have watched it, you're going to know this. For those of you who haven't, I'll just give you the premise is that it's this family. It's a family that is um, uh, based on, and and this is kind of interesting, Todd. I'll read this to you because I found this. So the family is fictional, okay? The, The Roys are fictional, Like, so that's something that Jesse Armstrong, the creator, has said. They are fictional, but they're based on a lot of different families. Um, The first one that everybody brings up is the Murdochs. You know who the Murdochs are? Yeah. Okay, so they're the Fox News people. And, you know, um, you know, what's his name? Rupert Murdoch has sons and he also has daughters. And they are there is always talk of there being like infighting and who's going to take over. And Rupert Murdoch still hasn't left Mm. as far as. You know, we found out from this, um, this uh, what was it, the Dominion lawsuit that Rupert Murdoch said he didn't have an active role, but then they found out during the lawsuit he actually did. Mm. So he's still, even in his 90s, it's such a Logan Roy move, right? Like he just is not leaving. So that's one of the families it's similar to. It's also similar to the Sulzbergers, which I didn't know this group. It's the people who own the New York Times. I guess their family has this kind of dynamic. Um, the Hearsts, you know, the Hearsts who were the, you know, uh, William Randolph Hearst's family. They were newspaper moguls. The Maxwells, and this was really interesting. Um, he was also a newspaper mogul, and his daughter was Ghislaine Maxwell, who was the guy, the the woman who was helping Jeffrey Epstein. Oh wow! And so she was just sentenced to prison a little bit ago, as we all know. And then the Carnegies, who Brian Cox, who plays Logan Roy, said that that's who he that's who he pulled from mm. for inspiration for his character. Um, basically, a kid who had nothing, who grew up and figured out how to be this kind of. Um, uh, I don't even want to use the word character, like this kind of force mm-hmm. in the universe. Because Logan Roy is not a very human person. Um, obviously, he's a human being, but he he doesn't act in a very human way. He His whole goal... Dehumanizes. He's, he dehumanizes people, and he uses people to get his needs met. Yeah. He is not somebody... And his needs are power. 
his needs are power. His needs are power and money. And but I think power over money, don't you think? I think that's well, something money I is a from vehicle the kids. to power. Correct. But once you have billions of dollars, getting another billion dollars doesn't mean anything. Right. So it's like, how do you keep power? So I just thought that was interesting. All the different families that they kind of pulled from. But so, what are the lessons from Succession? You know, like what it, I like. I watch this show. I watch every show because of human behavior. Like I love, so I watch a lot of cult shows. I watch a lot of scary things. I watch a lot of uncomfortable things like Succession. Um, And I don't love them all, but there is something about watching how people relate to each other that is really interesting to me. Interpersonal interpersonal communication relationship all that good stuff. family dynamics like yeah. history of trauma you can see it and and people who are great like shows that aren't that good they don't have writers that do enough of the investigating into character development but really good writers have really good background on their their characters and you're like this makes sense mm. this is what would happen um and so it, it's just one of those shows that obviously Todd and I highly recommend but these are kind of the things that I pulled out of it and Todd please um, you know, I'm coming in with my three things, but I want you to elaborate with things that you really noticed. And you too. know what I'm coming in with, sweetie? What? I'm going to tell you what I'm coming in with. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. Well, I'll put it this way. I put no thought into this podcast. It's all Kathy, and I'm just going to riff off of what you say. Okay, so... The way I want to do this is I want to talk about the things that the kids were lacking and the things that we can learn from this show. Like what were the things besides the, there's obvious things, the trauma they experienced, the the world they grew up in, the their dad being, uh, you know, neglectful or even cruel, their mom being really, you know, neglectful. Like there's those obvious things, but it's like what what are the things in our own families that we can learn about? And the first one that I thought about was internal motivation versus external motivation internal and intrinsic or is it the same thing uh same thing okay um so intrinsic motivation extrinsic or external motivation and then also internal validation versus external validation Mm -hmm. okay because they're similar but they're different in how we play them out so the first thing you know is talking about the roys because that's this family in succession they didn't have any internal motivation except to please their father or to be seen as their father. Yeah. Every so I shouldn't say they didn't have any. That was it. But they didn't have anything of but their the mo- own. The, the fact that the motivation came from their father means it was extrinsic. Correct. And and that their their internal sense of self, like their the was things completely that completely dependent upon completely what dad thinks of us. Nobody when they were children honored them and and were like what are you interested in? What do you want to do? Who are you? They were pushed aside. They were put down. They were made to feel less than. And then the only time that they ever felt some sense of warmth is if their father gave them praise. Uh, praise. Love. You know, like uh, during Shiv's, uh, there's a scene where, um, and by the way, I'm going to say this. There, if you haven't watched Succession, there might be a few spoilers in here. We're going to try not to be so overt, um, but it's hard to talk about a show. I'm not going to like go through the whole finale, but I don't know exactly yeah. where we'll go. So be forewarned. Be forewarned. So, but there is a scene in the um, at a funeral where Shiv mentions to be, you know, the time when when my dad would 
spend time with me or talk to me or be around me, that's when I felt warmth. Sure. You know, that's a very common experience is when you have a narcissistic parent or when you have a parent that's neglectful, when they they can be cruel to you all day long. But if there's a moment yeah. where they're actually engaged with you, you feel something that you aren't used to feeling the majority yeah. of your life. Yeah. And so there is everything was about getting that again, you know, was finding that. And so you know, even we're not Roy's, you know, all of us listening. Uh, but it's like when, how are we talking to our kids about having their own sense of self versus having. To please us. To please us or the external world. Do you think it's um, nature or nurture that, I think it's very normal, specifically when you're younger, like we want to be noticed by our best caregivers, right? It's, we want to be absolutely. validated and loved and seen. So one, it's normal. Two, too and much biological. of that. Too, yeah, biological, mm-hmm. because that's probably for our own safety. We got to make sure our caregivers love us because if yeah. they don't, they'll stop loving Survival. us. Uh, but then if it's too much where our happiness is completely dependent upon whether or not my mom or dad loves me, that could be a problem too. Well, it it ends up being a lot of these other things that I've written down. We can end up having enmeshment. We can end up being really codependent. We can end up, you know, emulating their behaviors, you know, being just like them. Um, we can end up, you know, having no sense of self. What did, what did uh, um, Roman say? He said, we're just a bunch of eggshells with tape. Or something like there's nothing we're all he kept saying we're all BS. Mm -hmm. We're all BS. We're just a bunch of eggshells and tape or like, you know, basically meaning there's nothing in them of substance for them. And he he realized that at the end, like they always knew it. They always knew it, which is why the only thing that made them feel of substance is having a parent and not even a parent, their father Mm -hmm. notice them. That's the only thing that filled them up. And that was always dependent Mm -hmm. On the moment, on the experience, they could not depend on it in any way, shape, or form in their lives. Well, for some reason, I'm thinking of the movie Wall Street where Martin and Charlie Sheen are yeah. in the elevator, mm-hmm. and Charlie Sheen says something like, Dad, I just wanted you to be proud of me. That's all. Yeah. And Martin Sheen, and you know, I'm sure that there's quite a bit of truthfulness in that scene, and Martin Sheen's like, it's yourself, I, that you got to be proud of yourself. And that's a very cliche thing, especially in a movie, but... To your point, it's acted really well in Wall Street. Yeah. And what he's trying to say is, I, you know, it's like we can understand. Of course, we want our parents to be proud of us. But I think our parents are proud of us when we're proud of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, the healthy parents yeah. are. Now, parents who are working in their own self-interest or, or who are narcissistic or super enmeshed or codependent, then that can be a little iffy. But the goal is like, you know, we've talked about this before, but the thing that I've really appreciated in in raising my daughters is the experiences as a parent where you see them find something and find joy in it and it fills them up if it be music if it be um you know a class they've taken if it be the you know an inter like an uh, extracurricular activity a sport whatever and you watch it take hold of them not because you introduced it but because they found it and so they have a sense of ownership and pride. And then as a parent, 
I don't even know if the word is pride as much as appreciation of like, oh my God, my, my kid has found something they love. We did uh, a podcast in year two. So mm-hmm. we're on 11 or 12. I don't know what year we're on. We're on 13. Year 13. So podcast number 68, we wrote, this is what we titled. This just said, don't tell your children you're proud of them. And then it, I, I'm sure you probably wrote this, sweetie. Instead of telling your children you are proud, why not ask them how they feel about what they did? Instead of having them impress you, why don't you ask them to reflect on their sense of accomplishment? It's a great way to get them intrinsically motivated. Um, That's what we're talking about here. It's interesting. That was our, you know, you guys have to go back a decade, but that was our most most controversial show. I would say, I mean, we've had other shows where people have had comments, you know, but I just remember so much pushback on that one. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it's not, you don't have to take it so literally. Of course, you can tell your children you're proud of them occasionally. It's not like, don't use that word. That's dumb. What we're saying is, if our children are only motivated by us being proud of them, then just the nature of what we're proud of them about, is it our desires? Is it our dreams? Are we are we like, you know, saying we're proud because they did something we wanted them to do? It's versus, like Greg Brady wanting to be an architect, sweetie, let's right, be honest. Right. Um, but he really you, wanted to be Johnny Bravo. He just wanted to be Johnny Bravo. Um, it's interesting because I think you're right. Like, I am not a fan of saying to my kids that I'm proud of them because I, there's an ick factor in it for me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, please, please the me. father figure, yeah. blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But I'll, I'd be much more likely to say it if it's something that they did on something they wanted to do that on had their nothing terms. to do with me. Yep. Well, and I do now say occasionally that I, I say I'm proud of you for, but it's always about because of you made this choice on your own. Yeah, you just or graduated because, high school. Yeah. Like right. look at the the accomplishments. Like, so it, again, like I said, it's not about never saying that. It's about being clear about why and when you're saying it. Yeah. Because if you're proud because your kids are pleasing you, mm-hmm. then that's, that is driving their external right. motivation where everything becomes about your feelings versus what helps them feel like they're thriving. Sure. It's really it, and I want to say it's subtle, but it's not that subtle. No. Like it, they they know, you know, when kids tell me they have, you know, cuz I do talk to a lot of teens, a lot of college students, when they tell me what their interests are, that something really lights them up and then they say, "But I can't tell my parents." Yeah. That's that's to me, that's very sad. Totally sad. Because it's something that they have realized that feels in alignment with who they are. If it be, you know, I've, I've told Todd about a lot of my students over the years, but students who have been like, I have to study this or I can't go into social work because my parents want me to be in business or um, I wanted to minor in photography, but my parents said I should be minoring in this instead or I want to do, you know, this, this acapella group, but my parents think that distracts from my studies. It's like, we're directing their lives. We're becoming too involved. And we usually direct it because we love them and we want to keep them safe. And like the business thing is easiest. Like, oh, go to business school because there's a lot of job security in there. I understand that parents will say that. And I don't want to say, I, I just want to say out loud, I understand why a parent would say that. Sure, sure. And let's let these kids figure out their own journey. Mm-hmm. And if it means that they're not going to make a lot of money because they're not going into a business school, I think if you happen to be a somebody who loves something and chooses to do that one thing for a living, they're going to be pretty good at it. And if they they get to be pretty good at it, whether it's playing the violin or playing in a band or being a physical therapist, like you, abundance will show up if you do what it is that you love and most of the time. There's many pathways. Like yeah. they may start with something and it leads to something else that leads to something else. Like yeah. 
pathways are, they're not always, they're not linear, yeah. you know, they're going to, things run into each other. You meet someone, you do this, this changes. Like, you know, I can, in hindsight, I, in hindsight now can look at my life. And my dad told me this all the time. He's like, you're going to look back and understand why everything was the way it was. You can't do it in the moment. And, and we shouldn't force ourselves to see the path. But now I look back and I'm like, this went to this and this went to this and this happened for this. Like, I see how I got to where I am. And I took a lot of I wouldn't say they were wrong turns. They were just like, oh, I think I'll try this. I'm going to be this. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I am not happy doing this. And then it, I moved on to some. But I had to have that experience to get to the next place. Sure. And so trusting our kids in that process of learning rather than directing them in a linear fashion to first you do this, then you do this, that to me is somewhat controlling. Sure. That to me is micromanaging. That's that's like adult helicopter parenting, you know, like where we're still telling them how to do things. Now, the thing is, there is a balance. Like you were just saying, you know, telling our kids, you know, it makes sense to talk to them about finances and about what, you know, how much it costs for an apartment. And if they're like, hey, I'm going to live in New York and do this thing. It's like, okay, do you know how much it costs to live in New York? Mm -hmm. Like there are real life experiences that they need to understand. And we, if we have good communication with them, good connection with them, that door opens for them to ask our opinion about things. And so there is a place, it doesn't mean... Again, it's always this swing where we're either like over controlling or we're not doing anything. And the goal is always that place in the middle, you know, the these yeah. that place where it's like we don't direct them, but then when they ask for advice, we can offer the wisdom of our life. Sure. Like our girls, you know, I want them to figure out what they want to major in in college. I'm not going to take part in that. That's their lives. But there's also things to take into consideration. Like my oldest daughter had an opportunity this summer to be a research assistant. And she was, you know, thinking, should I do that? Or should I do this other thing? And, and I, and when she asked my advice, I'm like, take these opportunities that are being handed to you. And again, if she wouldn't have done it, she's an adult, that's her choice. But she asked my opinion. Yeah. And so I shared, I, 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 this is, this makes a lot of sense. Um, but I also don't feel as if, but everything else, she's choosing her own way. And then she just wants some support sure. along the way. Yeah. So it's just the different, it's just this balance and, you know, f you know, finishing this one up and the internal versus external validation is similar. Like these overlap in many ways, but we also want our kids to feel that their lives are meaningful because what they feel inside is lining up. Because if you go through life trying to line up all your externals so you feel good, like, you know, here's my partner. These are the amount of friends I have. These are the things I do. This is what I do for a living. This is the amount of money I make. It's all external. Well, it's funny, like social media is such an interesting, I didn't think about it until just now, but like, you know, our addiction to likes and our yeah. addiction, yeah. addiction to views, and that's all external validation, it is. right? It is. It's all looking to the outside world to say you're good enough. Yes. And the thing that we're hoping, you know, all these things we talk about on the show, all these conversations we hope to have with our children are about them trusting what goes on inside of them, where sometimes they're doing things that other people won't understand. And and I don't mean that in like they become conspiracy theorists, like this isn't like off the rails. It's things like they, someone offers them a job that pays a certain amount of money 
and someone offers them a different job that pays them maybe less and they take the one for less because they're like, this feels more in alignment with who I am and it may not be the one that everybody wanted me to take. It could be like right now, most kids have now chosen a school for next year in this you know 2023 class, but they may have gotten into an Ivy, but then they choose a school closer to home because it feels more like them. So they're not going to get that external validation, but they know internally what's right for them. So where I go, I've, for some reason, I'm thinking back on the social media, how we're addicted as a human species to get likes on Facebook or uh-huh. Instagram or whatever. And what I want to say is that we are all miracles, every single right. one of us. And each one of us, the fact that we were even created and born is like insanely improbable and that we never need to do anything to prove our value. Mm-mm. We already are. We, re- we already mm-hmm. are just by the nature of our existence. And I know that may seem hoity-toity or like very kind of new agey. Spiritual But nature. it's the truth. Yep. We, and if we can believe that, then we can go like do all these amazing things. But if we're always, I do it from the outside in versus the inside out, uh, it just doesn't work as well. Well, this is the way I look at it. Okay, there's all this unlearning we have to do from our childhood, right? Things we learned that were like, oh, that wasn't really true or things that people told us that we had to like unwind because it took us down the wrong path or, or you know, believing that external validation makes us worthy. And as adults, we've had enough experiences, hopefully, you know, we've had people in our lives that have died or we've had maybe a close brush with an illness or we're dealing with an illness or a divorce or something that's been really life-altering. And we've looked at life in such a different way where we see the only thing that matters is how we feel about ourselves, our connection to others, our trust in you know, something bigger, whatever you want to call that, and that we see life for what it is. So why are we teaching our children something different than that? Why do we believe we need to run them through this machine and then someday they go through, you know, if it be a 25 or 35 or 55, they go through some kind of midlife crisis where they realize what life's all about. Why don't we raise them with an understanding of what life's all about? And they're still going to go through hardship and they're still going to have to learn and they're still going to have challenges. It's not as if that, you know, they may end up having a lot of earlier challenges because they take different paths and different roads. Um, But then they're still in alignment with themselves versus all of my clients, every, you know, every person that I work with, or I have worked with, or every teenager that I'm talking to, they're trying to unwind all this crap that didn't serve them. And what they're figuring out is exactly this internal validation, internal, you know, motivation. And why not, you know, I'm repeating what I said, but let's help our kids understand that early. They're still going to be, you know, at the mercy of social media and and external, you know, praise. It's not like they're going to not have that experience, but maybe they can have a little stronger sense of self as they go through it. So as I'm thinking about this, I can think of moms and dads listening to this being, great, Todd, how do I, great, Todd and Kathy, how do I do this? And the answer, as it always is, is model it. Like how... I still externally validate things. We all have it, yeah. So literally, this this may be like frustrating, a frustrating invitation, but the best way of teaching this to your kids 
is for for us to do it ourselves. Well, and that's the thing is these aren't, you know, everything in life, as you guys know, we say all the time, it's paradoxical. So nobody goes through life and doesn't care at all mm -hmm. about external validation. We all want praise. We all want to be told we're good enough. We all want to, you know, make a certain amount of money or, or demonstrate to the world that we have some kind of skill. That's okay. But is that it? Mm -hmm. Or do you also have a sense of self where if those things and when those things fall away, you still have a foundation. Yeah. You're like, okay, that was icing on the cake. That was interesting. That was fun. That was a path. And now I have the sense of self. Again, Romans saying, you know, eggshells and tape. I'm not eggshells and tape. Like there's, I know who I am and that wasn't all of who I am. So you don't teach like none of that matters. Of course it matters. People like likes. They like to be praised. They like when people comment on their work, but that's not all of life. And to what degree is it that you're basing your own value on? Correct. And do you have a healthy balance of the two sure. and not a perfect balance, but a sense, again, I, a foundation, mm -hmm. you know, in, um, the book I wrote in Zen Parenting, the book, the, you know, I based it on chakras. And the first chakra, the root chakra, is all about establishing that sense of foundation, the sense of belonging, uh, reminding our kids that exactly what Todd just said, that because you're here, you belong. You know, like you don't have to prove to me that you're worthy of being here on this earth or as my child or whatever. You already belong because you're here. And establishing that in the way we talk to kids and valuing them and honoring them, that sets a foundation that that's the roots from where they grow. And so, it, you know, and for parents who maybe didn't do that as much when they were little, you can do it now. There's no, you know, there's no uh, time limit on this necessarily. There's a million examples of bad, what I will consider bad parenting, but the, you know, the movie that just flashed in my eyes as you were talking what? was in Boogie Nights where... Okay. Uh, the mom. The mom in Boogie Nights. Um, what's his name? Adams. What's Dirk Diggler's real name in that movie? Uh, something Adams. You're right. Eddie Adams. Eddie Adams. That's it. Yeah. Good. So Eddie's like a 17 year old kid and his mom is just, oh my God. Like the worst. Yeah. Well, she's just not well. Yeah. She's yeah. not well. She's not well. We should, she, do a, we should just play a bunch of movie clips of bad parenting <laughs> on this podcast, see how that lands. Yeah. And, and just remembering, and I, you know, I feel like I have to do this as a social worker all the time, that those parents who were calling bad parents struggled and were probably traumatized as well. You have to see the cycle. It doesn't mean they're let off the hook or that their behavior doesn't need to change. It just means it doesn't come out of thin air. Mm -hmm. People hurt people hurt people, and people who have never seen or or you know experienced another kind of role model practice what they experienced. Yeah. They do the same thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So can I go on to number two? Sure, babe. Okay. So as we said, the first one was internal external motivation or validation. The second one is talking about enmeshment. Okay. The family in succession, I feel like we totally got lost from succession, but the family in succession is completely enmeshed, okay? So just so I know, is it enmeshed yeah, yes. or enmeshed? Enmeshed. I mean, what it's E-N-M, yeah. so I'm kind of enmeshed. enmeshed. It sounds like everybody's always saying enmeshment. Right, enmeshment, I know. Enmeshment, but enmeshment. it's enmeshment, okay. Yeah, so it's enmeshment is the relationship between two or more people where the boundaries are really permeable like where they're they're unclear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They like flow in and out of each other. In an enmeshed relationship, there is no emotional independence. There's no separation, especially between parent and child. This can lead to a child's inability to form individual thoughts and like having their own beliefs and their own behaviors. They're so in 
overlapping with their parents or their family that they don't even know where they began and their parent ends. Yeah, there's no separation. There's no separation. So I wanted to read, and so how is this related to succession? How is it not? I mean, yeah. these kids were are so enmeshed with a nar- narcissistic parents that they don't have any sense of self. They don't, and so again, because they don't know what they like or what they're what they're interested in, like. It's really interesting because, you know, Shiv in season one, she's the daughter. She's really, I found her to be so interesting in season one because she actually is working again. Hey, friends, who smarted? Did you smart, sweetie? No, it wasn't me. Uh, Who smarted is the world's funniest educational podcast for families. From history to science to pop culture, they make learning fun for the entire family. It's beloved by homeschool families and classroom teachers for its ability to spark conversation and natural curiosity. It's the perfect length for car rides or for fun educational breaks during the day. More than 300 original episodes, each under 20 minutes, and packed with great stories and real facts from the trusted narrator. A few of the most recent episodes are titled Why Are Blue Jeans Blue? What Makes Earth Able to Support Life? And What Are Crayons Made Of? You can listen to Who Smarted on any podcast app just search for who's smarted. And now on with the show. Working for a news organization, let's say that um, ATC, which is the news organization, ATN, excuse me, ATN, which is the news organization that uh, Logan Roy runs, let's say that's Fox, because that's how they're kind of, you know, saying it is. And then um, Shiv worked for like a MSNBC, you know, like a more liberal leaning. And she was also supporting a... Um, a presidential nominee that was much more liberal, that was the Democratic nominee. So it was like she was interesting in that she was kind of had a different, you know, belief system. But we come to find out that was more about being the antithesis of him. That really wasn't her own beliefs. Yeah. Because wasn't it at the end of season one or maybe the beginning of season two where he he says, you know, I really kind of wanted you to come in. And mm-hmm. she's like, okay, I'll drop everything. Yeah. Like so she... she Departed her values in a moment's notice. Moment's notice. When daddy said, why don't you come join my team? And were they even values or were they just her trying to push against him? Yeah. You know? So again, so I just wanted to read a few things about enmeshment for those of us who are like, Do you know, am I like dealing with this in my own family? So a person who may have enmeshed relationships would include someone who does not have a strong sense of self, which is what we're talking about, depends on others to provide validation, cannot function well alone, has difficulty acting alone, and having a level of independence within a relationship, um, is unable to think or act separately from the family without feeling like they're betraying their family, does not engage in activities for their own enjoyment, but instead looks to others to figure out what to do. Most of the time. So if you're, if somebody's listening to this and they're asking themselves, oh, am I enmeshed with my dad or am I enmeshed with my daughter? You don't have to check, excuse me, all those boxes. It could just be a few of them to a certain degree. And, you know, who knows like how to actually diagnose it, but. And it's not even really a diagnosable thing. It's a, it's like a word to kind of notice your boundaries. Yeah which we're going to get into boundaries in a second. But, Todd, here's some examples in a family. For example, a a mother who calls her son's ex-girlfriend to ask why she broke up with him. Yikes. That's some enmeshment. That's like where you're – the mom is just as hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? A person who cannot make simple life decisions without consulting her parents Mm. or his parents about everything. 
again, it's okay for kids to consult their parents about certain things. The parents should be that support system. But if there's a child who literally can't do anything, and this could be adult children too, Todd. Of course. You know? It's more glaring when you see adult children. Yeah. That. Um, a family member who takes it personally when someone else in the family wants to move away or wants to take a job that they didn't think was what they were going to do. Sure. Um, a parent who relies on her child for support through a divorce. You know, like if there's a divorce going on and the parent like makes a child their partner or, you know, wants to like unload mm -hmm. on their child. A person who has no understanding of activities um, that he or she enjoys and instead takes on the interests of the family or the closest friends. Yeah. You know, the person who really, again, there's just no, there's nothing, they don't have their own. They only have others. Yeah. And there is a healthy balance in like, you know, Todd is interested in some things that I wasn't interested in and then I learned from him and now I am yeah. interested in those things. But you still aren't playing pickleball. No. Well, that's because you don't ask me to as much because I'm not as good as you and you're very competitive. Um, I will ask you sometimes right. when I am in a certain mindset. Right. Right. Which means I want to go have fun with my sweetie. But right. if it's I want to go get a good workout in. Right. And 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 become better at pickleball, I will not ask you. Will Sorry, you sweetie. be my partner when we play Wii tennis? Yeah, you're pretty good. You've got a little ways to go, but you're doing <laughs> yeah. well. How about when I just try and hit it and it just, the ball it, never hits no, my No, it's path. not that. You're always like, what button which <laughs> button do I press? And I'm like, there's no buttons. Just swing the thing. A or B. A or B. And it's neither. Okay. You just swing it. So Todd likes a lot of sports. So I try to engage occasionally um, because he likes those things yeah. or games. Are you telling me you're only playing Wii because? I wouldn't have, my, who I am, I would probably not buy a Wii. But because we have a Wii, I will play with you. So just like you wouldn't. I think it's the best investment we've ever made myself. You wouldn't listen to White Snake or Backstreet Boys. Oh, Backstreet or, Boys, I'm in on. You're in on it because of me. I know. You would, but that's but my point. But you're not in on We or Pickleball. I am in on Backstreet Boys. But I am in on We and Pickleball because I play. You're not like my whole point is is that the we have enhanced each other's lives with the things we're interested in. We have introduced things to each other rather than me, you know needing your stuff sweetie what <laughs> yeah. who says yeah which one is that it's brian oh brian you are my fire i've seen these guys in concert by the way dude i invited to concert it's true it's because of me when i say I want it that way. But we it's really hard to turn this song off. And I hope all my friends make fun of me for loving the song because it's a great song. Everybody loves this song. Right. Even the people that say they don't love yeah, it, they it's love dumb. It. It's just, it's part of our like cultural awareness. Like, it's just one of those songs everybody knows. Tell me why. Tell me why. Uh, one time, so Todd and I, I've seen Backstreet Boys about, I don't know, like seven or eight times, but I've Todd's gone with me about four times. And one of the times that we were there, we got to be VIPs. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, when Paul we Bradley were, set us up. Yes, we were in Northerly Island and in Chicago, and we were like there with like 10 other people just yeah. 
you know, talking with them. You got close to Brian and AJ and Howie and Nick. Kevin. And Kevin. Yes. Look at that. I just the rattled boys. them all That was really good. Thanks. So point being is we share with each other and that's great. But if you are somebody who doesn't have... Like you're basically just pulling your identity from other people's things. That is, um, I mean, that's its whole thing. But there is, that's an enmeshment thing where you're like, I don't know what's mine and what's somebody else's. And sometimes we end up sharing it. Like this, all these things we're talking about are not matter of fact. They're all on a continuum. They're all. Yeah, it's not this or that. It's not this or that. It's not black and white. It's all nuanced as, as all things are. But you know, it's so this is important too. the opposite of enmeshment is disengagement. Mm. And that's when personal and relational boundaries are so rigid and family members come and go without any knowledge of each other. Like that's like almost neglectful where people don't know each other at all. And so you're so like disengaged. And there's times when I am in my computer and one of my kids will walk in and I'll check to see how they are and they say fine, but I don't tune in. There's sometimes some disengagement that I practice. Well, I would say you have disengaged moments just like every human yeah. being. So do I. Yeah. I mean, everybody does, but I'm talking about disengagement as a practice. So where like if you are a parent right now who has no idea what your kids are interested in and you're not asking questions yeah. and you're like completely like, oh, I don't care, teenagers, whatever, that's disengagement of their lives. So if there's an X, X access, on one side it's enmeshment, on the other side it's disengagement. My center of gravity, I would hope, would be right there smack dab in the middle, right? Yeah, that's the goal. But in all honesty, I think I lean slightly towards the disengagement. I don't think so, Todd. I think you're very... I mean, I know you're trying to be vulnerable, and I'm not trying to tell you what to think. It's just that I don't... I think these words are strong, Mm -hmm. and I don't think you are ever disengaged. No, there's probably other words, like more adjectives we need to get, because disengagement is all the way at the end, correct? and enmeshment's all the way at the other end. Logan Roy is disengaged. He could care less what his kids are interested in. All he's interested in is what he's interested in. That's disengagement. But it is, there is, we can notice, like if we take the word as more of an adjective, we can notice when we are disengaged. So how about this? If I think all human, all human beings, like the odds of some being smack dab in the middle and having a healthy relationship is, is not realistic. Right. And I would, so like, it's more like, which way does one person, like if there's somebody listening and they think of, you know, if they're in a couple, if they're in a partnership, um, it's possible that both parents might be closer to the enmeshed. Right. And or both parents might be closer to the disengaged or one might be on one side, one might be on the other. I just think it's an interesting um, exercise to say, what's your center of gravity? Yeah. And and instead of it being a label for you, maybe think about it as your tendencies. Yeah. These are kind of enmeshed tendencies or because I definitely lean much more toward enmeshment. You know what I mean? Like I do become overly emotionally involved in things where sometimes I can't feel the difference between myself and what my girls are experiencing. And I also get very interested in what they're interested in. I love sometimes the music they share with me. I would say you're a little more enmeshed with the world. (laughs) I know. We we saw a few squirrels, let's just say, playing out front (laughs) today. And they looked like they were kind of like mad at each other. Yeah. And you said something like, I think we should go help them or something like that. (laughs) 
I'm like, we needed to break that up. There were some Me Too things going on out there in nature. <laughs> and I was like, they need to get up with the times because one squirrel was not interested. And the other squirrel was interested. Very interested. And you're and like, and you didn't say, I don't think we should. You're like, what if we went out there I, and tried to. I said, I, I'm feeling the need to break this up. <laughs> and, I, and you can't tell. I, I had zero interest. And it's probably for me watching Channel 11 nature shows because there are these people with a video camera that has a really high lens, a good lens. And there's a gazelle getting eaten right, by a lion. Right. You just don't get in the way of that. I know. And and honestly, I, I didn't get right. in the way of it, nor do I but really think they need me. Right. Is... Well, let me give you an example of something okay. that I pay attention to. I noticed uh, in the news last week that there were some people in Yellowstone mm-hmm. and there was a bison who had kind of like the, the rest of the bison had crossed the, the street or the road and there was a baby bison left on the other side and some people were trying to guide it and they were touching it mm. and kind of trying to get it across the road and guess what happened? It's a bad idea. The the mother didn't want didn't want that baby in the herd yeah, anymore. Because they touched it. So they had to euthanize it. So crazy. And I guess my point in saying that is that's like a sad story yeah. to to note it to to be over involved. Like we're not <laughs> such an awful story. Listen to Zen Parenting Radio. <laughs> we'll inspire you everybody. Bison. Baby bison. Baby bison. But so my point about the squirrels is I'm not really going to engage. My feelings, though, are like I'm kind of annoyed because I'm humanizing these squirrels. I remember we had some landscapers, uh, and he was he was telling me a story about a little bunny hutch, and there's a yeah. bunch of bunny there, like, and the guy's like, "Do not touch them, don't touch, because if you do, the mom, what's that? What is that? Moms are so great in nature, and everything's so great, and they'll like give themselves up, but if they smell at all like a human, they're like, you know what? I'm not interested. But you're humanizing them. You're making it sound like they understand something different. Yeah. Their whole way of knowing this is their child is the way they smell. So is that why it's not? So so does the... You're, and, you're acting as if they're conscious, like, mm, they don't smell no, good. No. I'm going to leave this I one. know you don't know the answer to this question, but is the mama buffalo or the mama bunny rabbit, does it really not think that that's its baby? Uh, it Obviously, Todd. I mean, just by... I thought it's like this... My baby is now contaminated with human smell, so I'm not going to help it. We're saying the same thing, though. The baby doesn't smell like it's mine, or this baby, there's something different about it. I I don't know enough. I'm not like, I'm not an animal expert, but there's something about that that cuts off the mother's ability to recognize this child. So whatever the logistics of that are, whatever the details, I don't know. But it's not, like you said, you're, you're saying, oh, moms are so great, but they leave a baby behind. They're not intending to do that. That's not their intention, but something gets in the way. It's like why I didn't disturb the squirrels because this may be their, the way they mate. This is how they dance. This is how they dance. It's just, it seemed a little aggressive from my end. Yeah. It it was an interesting morning. Let's just say that. (laughs) You were like, it's hard to look away. We should do one of those unparenting animations (laughs) and see what the animator can do with this, with this segment. (laughs) Oh, we were sitting by the window for a long time. All right. So and I was like, m- I'm like, run, run. And then she wouldn't run. No. And then, then we're like, well, maybe this is the way. Yeah. Well, there's so many great mating dances. There's that, that bird that gets, there's the bird, the male bird that 
uh, cleans up his little space. Yeah. And then he does this crazy ass dance. Yes. To impress. And like who slides, like yeah. sidles. Yeah, yeah, right. Side so funny. And what's so funny is when then it doesn't work. No. Because the other bird's like, no thanks. And you just feel his disappointment mm. like, oh, this poor guy. He's like, I laid it all That's out right. there. He got vulnerable and he got his ass he handed sure to did. him. He sure did. He did the dance. How many more do you have, by the way? Oh, just one. Okay, good. We're So I want to finish a measurement with this, though, that that you know, going to succession again, Logan Roy uses condemnation and emotional, you know, emotional currency through the whole show. Like that's, that's how he controls his kids. He praises another child above another when they do what he wants them to do. You know, if, if Roman is, is, you know, engaging with his dad, then he's like, you're the one and Mm -hmm. the other ones suck. Or, you know, if it's with Kendall or if it's with Shiv, he uses that enmeshment to mess with them. Um, and the, you know, the description is like, think about it this way. Like those kids are already very rich. Yeah. One of my favorite um, lines was from like an episode like about five weeks ago when Matson is trying to like talk Kendall into like a new deal. And Matson's like, I'm just trying to make you rich, man. And Kendall's like, already rich. Yeah, check. <laughs> like that he's like, has been I'm already rich. So, but these kids are already like set up for their lifetimes financially. Generationally, their their grandchildren's yeah. grandchildren are set up. Billionaires. So they're they don't need from their dad anything financial. They just want his attention. Yeah. So it's yeah, right. often described as like golden handcuffs. Like they just want him. You know, like they're they're trying to um you know, deal with their narcissistic father as if they're going to get anywhere with him and they're not. So, um, you know, and he's emotionally abusive. So anyway, let's do the last one, number three. Mm -hmm. And it's the need in a family, the importance of having strong boundaries, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's the truth when it comes to codependency or narcissism or just anything in between. Like the ability to have boundaries in your life where you do know where you begin and end. Mm -hmm. So you do know what feels okay and what doesn't, or you are in the practice of knowing it. Because obviously sometimes we miss the boat on that. Sometimes we think we're doing something for us. And then we recognize later we were doing it for everybody else. Or sometimes we're like setting a boundary that's too rigid. And then we realize we have to be more compassionate. Like there's all sorts of play interplay in here because it's a practice. Um, But just for clarity, Codependence, like if you, codependency means that you feel responsible for other people's feelings and happiness. So codependent parents are like obsessed with talking about their children's needs or dealing with their children's needs. Instead of tending to their own feelings, they take on the emotions of their children. I have struggled with this. I have talked about, my therapist doesn't like when I say I'm codependent. She just says you have codependent tendencies mm-hmm. um, because I'm not all the time. Sure. I really do there, know where that's I not, begin that and end. That sum anybody up. Even Logan Roy, who's this fictional character, He's narcissist, narcissist for sure, but he probably has moments of not many, but loving, give you know, charitable, blah blah blah. It's it's you know, just one label does not define anybody. Yeah, the only time I ever saw Logan be somewhat that way was with his intimate relationships, mm-hmm. like with at the beginning with Marsha or with the security guard, his his best with, friend, with his best buddy. Yeah. What's that guy's name? I don't remember. It's not Carl. It's not Frank. What's his name? Anyway, he said he tells his the guy who's been like helping him his whole life, like, you're my best friend. Like he has he still has narcissistic personality disorder. I'm sorry. He's he's For sure. it's so who he is. But he does have moments. But 
so codependency is like taking on the feelings of other people. I have always struggled with this, but I do have, I do practice boundaries. I do have an understanding. I can like recognize that I'm doing something that's codependency. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm like, I see it. Um, narcissistic parents, on the other hand, are so self-absorbed that they value their own feelings above anybody else's. So they lack empathy and they disregard other people's needs. So it's like the two extremes. Um, I just, uh, so in the Team Zen app, mm -hmm. I just put in two words. One is boundaries. Uh -huh. And we've done about Zen Talk number five, podcast 589, podcast 590, uh, Zen Talk 39. So we've done so much work on boundaries, which is great because I think it is something that is super important. And then I just for fun, I don't remember doing this, but we did a whole podcast on codependency. Yeah. Podcast 680, which was not too long ago, yeah. maybe six months ago. So, oh, and then 691, we had some codependency stuff going on. So anyways, I just, um, a lot of the things we're talking about today, we 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 have Talked about had before. a deep dive into each one of those things. It's why it's so easy to recognize in a, sh in a show like Succession, because it's so blatant. Yeah. It's so like, you know, all encompassing. But the reason I'm talking about boundaries in terms of codependency and narcissism is you have to have boundaries for each of these things. If you have a narcissistic parent, you have to know what your boundaries are, because theirs are, are they're not going to stop doing or being who they are. Yeah. So you have to know what your limits are. Truth. We, you know, um, there have been experiences that Todd and I have had with, you know, people who are narcissistic and we have had to create our own like story about, and not even a story, our own, choose our own path. Like we're going to go do this thing, but we're going to be with this person for this amount of time and then we're going to end it and we're going to go home because this person won't end it. This person will ask for more. So we have to have our own people boundaries. People that take an, you give them an inch, they take a foot. Right, exactly, or a mile. Um, you know, because foot's not that much, but they'll well, take a mile. Well, and an inch is 12 times, a foot is 12 times more than an inch. A mile, there's a lot of inches in a mile. So what if we do a yard? Uh, no, I like inch foot thing. <laughs> okay. Because I feel like the mile thing is like, I don't know. I think it's give an inch, take a mile, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, it's... I think I'm using the phrase, but it doesn't matter because you no, got the gist. we need to figure this out, too. This is important. <laughs> you're right. Give an inch and take a mile. Yeah. I'd be damned. It's not give an inch and take a foot. Yeah, you're right. What else? Okay, so here's the thing. Also, this is true with codependency on both sides. If you are, you have to have a sense if you are a parent who feels like you're so over-involved in your kids' lives or their emotional lives or you're just so overly invested and everything is about them, you have to be conscious of your own boundaries. You have to set some boundaries around, I will engage if they ask my opinion, but other times I am going to take a deep breath and allow my children to live their lives. And that is can be true if they're four years old and they put on a mismatched outfit to go to school. Skyler. <laughs> And that could be true when they are 22 and are making life choices that are very major. We have to honor who they are. And if they ask for advice, of course we give it. But we have to be thoughtful about these things because, to Todd's point at the beginning of the show, how do our children learn boundaries? By watching us set boundaries. If it comes to... It's the best learning tool of all time. Absolutely. And I think when we think about boundaries, we think about that we have to be harsh or we yeah. have to be like, no, Loving or we... Boundaries. 
their boundaries don't even have to be recognized as boundaries. Like we don't have to be like, I'm going to set a boundary. We just say things like, like, for example, I'm supposed to have dinner with this group of friends and I love them dearly, but I'm not great at night. I'm much better during the day. And so my boundary is like, I want to do lunch together because when I say I'm not great at night, what I mean is I'm just more active and on for a lunch. Do you know what I mean? But if I have to wait till a seven or eight o'clock dinner, I'm tired. Yeah. I do. I just got asked to speak a couple of weeks ago somewhere in town and the thing didn't start till 830. I'm like, and for me, a work boundary is I can't work that late. You know, I mean, I could choose to write that late if I wanted to, but I don't want to wait all day to go to work at 830. So those are work boundaries I set up. And those, and these are just small little things. I don't have to tell people. I just say that doesn't work for me or this would work better. And that's okay. Like the, not every boundary is some insistence on see me, recognize me. It's more about how do I get through life and feel, again, it goes back to number one, like internally motivated, internally validated by how, you know, my choices and how I'm going to get through life. Like I have to teach people how to treat me. I can't just walk through life and expect people to know how to treat me. And, and it's different depending on who you are. Todd was just saying the other day we got into, it wasn't really an argument, but he was talking about people being sensitive. And he said, um, you said, you said this person is just like you, Kathy. They kind of expect people to treat them in a certain way or something. What did you say? Do you remember? No idea. And I said, wait a second. I don't really expect the world to treat me a certain way. But you, Todd, or my best friends or people close to me, I do let you know because you're the most important people to me. So I want you to understand me. But I don't walk around the world saying everybody should treat me a certain way because who... Who has time for that, first of all, for me to explain? You know, and, and will people even really recognize that or care about that? Because we're not in invested relationships. I'm not in relationships with everybody. But the people I care about the most, I would like them to know that, you know, this is who I am and this is what works best for me. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. That's right, sweetie. Um, so in closing, the expression, give him an inch and he'll take a mile is been in use since the late 1800s, though it's derived from a phrase found in John Haywood's 1546 work. So here we are, whatever, 600 years later, 500 years later. Um, but yeah, it comes from John Haywood. Did That's you know that we're going to quote John Haywood? Today? No, I'm glad he came into yeah. our show today. Um, Can- give him an inch and he'll take an L. That's what he said in his book. An L was a unit of measurement for cloth that was about 45 inches in length. So technically, he's a little bit closer to a foot than a mile, but somehow our culture decided to use mile. I stand with my foot. I'm going to stand with my foot. You and John Haywood. Me and John Haywood from 1546. Yeah, I'm glad you've made a new friend. That's right. Um, so this, I'm going to finish this with about boundaries. So boundaries create safety in families. They reflect respect for everyone's needs and feelings. They communicate clear expectations. They establish what's okay to do and what's not. This is okay, this is not. As a child grows up, boundaries should gradually shift to allow for more autonomy. That's where Todd and I are in our parenting, to give our children greater privacy, developing their own beliefs and values and so forth. In healthy families, children are encouraged to become emotionally independent, to separate, to pursue their goals, become themselves and not be extensions of us. Like I have to, you know, I have to 
with my girls now, I have two adult children. Yeah. And I obviously have opinions or thoughts or whatever, but they get to choose. And then I'm the support system. And and we've been working up to this since they were adolescents. Like, this isn't just some dramatic, like, you know, they turn 18 and we change. Like, as your kids grow up, you've got to give them more autonomy. That's how they develop internal validation. That's how they develop internal motivation. They start to trust themselves. Yeah, whatever mistakes you notice that they're going to make as long as they're not irreversible which is whatever running out in the street when they're three years old like right. that's the stuff you got to like right be a control freak around but everything else like that's how we learn not from when times are good not when things work out we learn from when stuff went wrong and we learn by that we chose all these experiences like you know, if we are directing our children's lives and we're saying, do this, do that, then anything that does go wrong, they can kind of attribute to it being our fault, right? But if our children are making their own decisions, it's interesting, Todd, I think about when we first started parenting and we had little kids. And I remember a discussion that you and I had when we were really starting to talk about emotional labor and your involvement and my involvement. And one of the things that I brought up, and I I can't take ownership for this. I think a teacher gave me this. But if I make all the decisions for the kids, then you could so easily blame me. Sure. But if we make decisions together, when I say blame me, if something goes wrong or if it doesn't happen the way things should, like, let me go back to succession. There's a scene where Rava, who is Kendall's wife, and they have two kids and maybe ex-wife, I think they're divorcing. And Rava shares with Kendall that because the environment has gotten so, uh, the environment being our political environment has gotten so like chaotic that their child who they have an adopted child is starting to feel unsafe and has an experience that's really scary on the street. And Kendall says to Rava, well, where were you? Why weren't you there protecting her when Kendall hasn't seen his kids for months and just this blaming of you're doing all the work, so I'm going to blame you for anything that goes wrong. And when we're parenting, we have to co-parent or else one parent can make the other parent a scapegoat of something. I have a real world example of this. Let's hear it. I don't know how old I was. It was probably 10. Okay. Was, I was in Little League. It was the end of the game. My dad went to all my games. This is not a fun memory between my dad and I. Okay. And uh, it was towards the end of the game, seventh inning, because I think we played seven innings at the time. And I was shortstop or whatever. And there was a player that was caught in a rundown. Rundown is when they're yep. stuck between two bases. bases yep. But there's also a man on third. Okay. And I was executing the rundown. And my dad screamed, throw home. So what did I do? I threw home, but I threw it either I, I threw it off the plate or it was too late. The guy was safe. We ended up losing the game. Mm, that's hard memory. And my dad, like, we were both so mad at each other. And I stay, <laughs> love you, dad, but... He shouldn't have said that. He should have allowed me, but I was always like, I had my radar on, like, oh, my dad said something, I'm going to go do it. Of course. He should allow me, and he ended up messing me up because that was not the good choice because if it was, then I would have thrown him out. So, sorry, Dad, you made a mistake. That was a bad day for you. Well, and we can just focus on that as far as parents do that on the sidelines of games all the time. This isn't just your dad. How many parents are like, run, go there, kick? Uh," And it just really disconnects a kid from not only their own internal, but from the coach's words. That's what Silent Saturdays are for. I know. We, We don't do soccer anymore, but we did. But we were part of ASO, and ASO did these things like twice a year. Is it ASO or AYSO? People aren't here to call it ASO. I grew up saying AYSO, American Youth Soccer Organization. 
and they do these things called Silent Saturdays. And I used to hate them because that means all the parents have to shut up other than clap. That's other the only thing clap. they can do. Yeah. And then somebody explained to me why they do that. And it's every Saturday should be Silent Saturday because there's so many parents out there telling their kids to kick the ball as if the kid doesn't know that he's supposed to kick the ball. Just be quiet on the sidelines, everybody. <laughs> right, like they, they don't know they're supposed yeah. to. There was this parent on the sidelines. This is like eight years ago, so this parent probably doesn't remember this, but who was saying, kick it, get a goal, and I'll take you to Portillo's. Yeah. Kick it, get a goal. Like like bribing their child while they were while in the game. While they on the soccer field. And can you imagine like that kid or the coach, like the pressure, they then they can't hear themselves. Yeah. Then the kid can't play a game yeah. that is connected to their teammates. Yeah. They can't play a game that's in the best interest of their team because they're doing what their parent thinks they should do. And the parent doesn't know anything about what those plays are. Sure. It's such a talk. That's like a form of enmeshment yeah. right there where you're like, you are too involved. Oh, you yeah. need to pull out. Well, that's, and we're we're going to have John O'Sullivan on at some point. He's uh, We've had him on before. We've had, had him at our conference. But I think sports is such an interesting... Will you explain what John O'Sullivan does so people know what that uh, means? He's written books on how to guide our children through youth athletics. In a healthy way. In a healthy way. And um, we've all seen the YouTube clips. We've probably all been present where... These parents get way too invested in what's going on with whether or not their kid wins or loses a baseball game. I remember when I was a little kid, there was parents screaming at the umpire. The umpire was crying. The umpire is like a 14-year-old kid. Oh, so wrong. Umping a 10-year-old game. So, yeah, I get pretty triggered pretty quickly when I see parents taking youth athletics to... Um, seriously, seriously, and getting too involved because it doesn't happen with orchestra. It's mm-hmm. not like we we're yelling at our kid because they miss a note. Well, sometimes things happen at home. There are parents who I guess insist on practice and insist on playing in front of people and insist on their kids performing. Yeah, like there were that over involvement. If you want, if yes. it's an enmeshment, you know that where you really don't know where your kid begins and you end, or yeah. you know vice versa, um, or just imposing our dreams sure. or our expectations on our kids. There are no boundaries there, yeah. and. That's not okay. So my last thought about succession is, Todd, what I thought about after, because we finished the finale last night. I'm sure a lot of you did. Kendall and Roman and Shiv. Now, Shiv, as we know, is going to have a different experience because of what happens with Tom. But Kendall and Roman are basically left with $1.8 billion, and they're still not okay. No. If that doesn't teach you all you need to know about what money is. Yeah. And that they, we end that show like thinking, oh my gosh, these poor people. Yeah. And they have more money than than, 99.9% of humanity. But they don't know who they are. No. And that's what life is about. Their dad messed them up. It's bottom line. Yep. Um, In closing, I want to say hi to Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Give him a call if you have any projects and you live in Chicago. Uh, Kathy has an amazing book called Zen Parenting, Parenting Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Um, I do this thing called Men Living where we create spaces for guys to connect, heal, and thrive, live deeply, um, uh, authentic, vulnerable conversations 
Uh, I also do coaching. So if there's any guys out there that want to do any coaching, hit me up at toddadamscoaching.com. Anything else, sweetie? I think that's it. Oh, one last thing, because I haven't talked about it for a long time. Um, <laughs> what about Succession versus Backstreet Boys? Anyway, I, I have a newsletter that I put out every Friday. It's called oh, yeah. Zen Parenting Moment. So I write something. I actually wrote about Succession last week and uh, grief. Yeah. Um, and then I, there's also in the newsletter the things that Todd and I are doing so all you have to do is go to uh, zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to that newsletter and don't forget to join Team Zen and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel actually Todd will you put all these things in the show notes it's then all don't... at the very top okay, good. of the show notes perfect so all these things we just said you can find them in the show notes Boom. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.